Warrior Poets. <laughs> it's time for episode four of Warrior Poet Profiles. And this one, we're doing the great George Washington. So as I've been studying it up, I realized down the street, I have somewhat of a Revolutionary War historian. You're constantly mm -hmm. reading on it. In fact, you've got all their official garb. This is kind of what they would be wearing. As my wife says, go play. <laughs> That's an awesome accent. Good, 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 good. So uh, I have with me William Temple. He's a Revolutionary War reenactor. He's been doing this stuff for years. Uh, he's been a pretty big figure with the Tea Party movement, and so he's been on the major media networks. So CNN, Fox, you've right. been... Uh, Carl Cameron's a good buddy. There you go. Uh, you're about to, you just got honored with, you'll be speaking at Trump's inauguration as Patrick Henry. Yes, sir. Which is awesome. I also have a, a Time magazine right here. Uh, you didn't get Man of the Year, uh, no. Mark Zuckerberg. We came if, close. If anyone's ever heard of this guy. Uh, but here, here um, you are right here. Oh, just trying to disarm me right up here looking awesome. So uh, <laughs> anyway, that's awesome. Man. I, I, I would never disarm you, John. <laughs> well, this is cool stuff. So yeah, considering gonna... it takes 32 steps to load and fire it, I know what you can do with your pistol. Yep, yep. Mine's three. <laughs> Very good. Well, cool. I feel underdressed. Do you have any more of this stuff later on? I was about to say, you're going to get pretty cool pretty quick. So Yeah! <laughs> now you're in the spirit. Yeah, very good. So this is, I'm dressed as a Brit. You are. Fantastic. Yes. And this, what the is wrong this thing? Colors, what is this thing I've got? Now, this is your cartridge box. So this is where they keep all their ammunition? Right. Okay. And so uh, they would have been carrying something like a Glock 19 Gen 4 on a oh, T-Rex sidecar. Oh, if we'd have had that. You didn't have this? What else? What do you we didn't this? have that right there. No? So the idea with a warrior poet is somebody whose mind and body is occupied with protection of people, so they're mm -hmm. skilled warriors, and then the poet aspect is removed by higher purpose or mm -hmm. love for others. How is George Washington a warrior poet? Well, he was, he was a motivator of men verbally, and we have his speeches. Okay. Um, men responded to him, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry and George Washington were probably the two most revered men uh, among the colonials. But why revered? Revered because they uh, won during the French and Indian War. He led, unfortunately, led a, a militia unit that was all, all but wiped out by the Indians. Indians shot and hit him five times, but they only went through his clothes, and the Indians began to think this man could not be killed. That's awesome. That happened more in the Revolutionary War, too. Yes, yes, just, it did. So Martha would be like, you've got more holes in your clothes, right. apparently. Well, unlike today... What a stud. What a stud. And unlike today, generals actually w would lead their men. <laughs> yeah. Wars into it a lot quicker when the generals start dying. But he also uh, was a person who... <laughs> didn't quite understand the new uh, the new military because all of his troops would get down behind rocks and uh, trees and he rode along with his horse, sword whipping them with the sword trying to get them to st and yelling at him stand up and fight like a man that's awesome well, and he was a man he was like six foot two yes athletic very very mm -hmm. strong and kind of a mountain of a man red hair in his youth Wouldn't and this is a huge hat <laughs> i feel like i'm a pope up here this is a bear hat well the british wore those the grenadiers of europe wore them to impress people looking at them coming because it made them look so huge well it feels and uh, but of course for the average soldier they were your seals of the of that time in that they were your shock troops but they also tend to get shot Cut. down in mass. 
<laughs> Seals. No, that's oh. awesome. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Washington wanted his troops to fight like the Europeans. And the Kentucky and Tennessee long riflemen and Virginia long riflemen uh, who were fighting and using these squirrel guns, a lot of rifle guns, they had been fighting Indians. Yeah. And they were used to getting down behind rocks and trees. And so when Washington was yelling at them to stand up and fight like men, they were like, what's wrong with this man? <laughs> so he, he was a, a, a man's man. He oh, was yes. a ferocious warrior. He was a good tactician. He was a strong guy. Can you give me a little bit of a story and, and our viewers a story of kind of that, uh, why he was revered, how he won that respect. Give me a story that kind of shows him as, as a man on a battlefield. Well, he was a humble man as well. Okay. There was a, uh, he, he, he was not self-seeking. And uh, there were those in his army who wanted him after he, uh, instead of becoming president, they wanted him to become a king. Yeah. And he refused. He, he would not allow that to happen. And uh, still, if you looked at him, he would be considered our greatest president. Uh, and his, his, uh, he was constantly away from his home. Uh, and so uh, Martha, and, and he uh, had hard times. Uh, she was constantly under threat of being captured. But his love, he was a loving man. He was a man, a, a verbal man, that could instantly uh, gain respect. Even though he was a Federalist at the end of the war, uh, Patrick Henry, who was a virulent anti-Federalist uh, against the Constitution, revered Washington uh, to his death. Uh, and um, the man could command soldiers. He could, could command respect. And he also picked the right men uh, uh, to serve under him, all of his generals. Uh, he did not like them getting into feuds sure. and, uh, and therefore wanting to go out and uh, shoot each other. Yeah. So uh, he, he, uh, he opposed that. He was like, what good does it do me to have generals if they're going to go out and get mad at each other and shoot themselves? In no, a, that's, in, in that's good. That's something I, I just did a warrior poet profile on Muyamoto Musashi in, mm -hmm. in the 1600s for the samurai culture. Dueling to the death was just something that was... A man's but, honor was at stake, yes. Right, but just agree to disagree, and the, <laughs> the country's got two good warriors rather than one. Well, it was it, literally anyway, yeah. true. It was yeah. literally true that if you were called out by another man and challenged, and you did not respond, sure, sure, sure. you lost all respect. You would, you would go nowhere in government or, or sure. in the military. Yep. So it was expected. Hence, Hamilton and Burr, right? Hamilton and Burr. Yeah, very good. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Let me think. What else? So do you want to see the musket drill? Not yet. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Not yet. 32 steps to oh, load and fire it, you know. more uh, Washington <laughs> stuff. All right, so Washington also has his critics, especially in modern day now. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a movement uh, really against founders. What, were, what are some of the common attacks that are done on like slavery or anything they like want that. To, Speak to some of this. Well, on religion, they, there are those who want to make him a deist. And at that time, the French uh, Revolution was close. Even though they'd helped us in our revolution, they were bringing in deism and a belief uh, that, as uh, Patrick Henry said, was nothing more than atheism and immorality. But some of the founding fathers were deists, correct? Well, no. Uh, the only one that was a hard deist 
was uh, Thomas Paine. Okay. And he sent a a uh, deist manuscript to Washington and Benjamin Franklin to for them to approve. George Washington never talked to him again, although he had written Common Sense and Washington praised him. Sure. By the time he went to that, George Washington, and later Thomas Paine joined the French Revolution, was put in jail and was going to be executed. Right. And uh, he wrote to Washington to save him. Washington wouldn't even answer his letters. Wow. I'm of the opinion that some of the, uh, the majority of our founding fathers were Christians. Amen. And then I also believe, and don't shoot me because he's better armed than me at the moment because I put my Glock away, uh, that some of the key founding fathers like Jefferson, Franklin, and possibly Washington were deistic. And so I'm uh, trying to sort through that. There's some clues that make me think that he was more deistic than Christian, but I'll defer to you who knows well, more. But right now where I'm in my studies, I'm, I'm more prone mm -hmm. to say there was there was definitely some deists amongst the founders though you got guys like the great benjamin Ru i mean adamant sincere mm -hmm. christians but even the deists had a respect for bible that they're basing kind of mm -hmm. the moral system yeah. on so you, you, you mentioned so sorry because i don't want to mm -hmm. make it all about religion right and, and right it's a piece right. of who he was mm -hmm. but i want to get into some other stuff as well you mentioned the french and i know a real close friend and uh, people could say there would not be a United States of America without France coming in, and you had uh, like the uh, Marquis de Lafayette, who was instrumental. Right. He was a Frenchman, instrumental to the revolutionary cause. Also, Baron uh, Frederick von Steuben, Steuben German. Right. So really, America's independence would go on and affect the world. So France's in, uh, independence would precipitate from it. But really, uh, the seeds of our revolution and the ability to pull off the revolution was largely tied to a, a lot of different influences outside ourselves. Is that fair? And well, you want to speak to it. Yeah, the, we realized if we were going to ever defeat the British, we needed to to be recognized by other foreign governments. So Adams, Jefferson, all were were went to Paris. Yeah. And, and were, how'd Adams do there? Huh? How'd Adams do in Paris? He did not do. He well. was awful. No, <laughs> he, he, and and Jefferson was the was the smooth operator. Sure. And Franklin, he knew how to course. play along. Yeah. And Franklin. Uh, but uh, but the difference was that our revolution was heavily dependent on on an appeal to heaven. Matter of fact, that was George Washington's flag, appeal to heaven, and it's a a flag with a, a green tree pointing up Very good. to heaven. And it was his belief that uh, that God and Benjamin Franklin, who who also said that uh, if God can notice a sparrow when a sparrow falls uh, how do we think that we could not win this uh, this uh, uh, revolution without his aid yeah. and he was he was appealing don't give up on God the French on the other hand took a whole barge of priests and sank it in the Seine they were so anti-god uh, Voltaire all of them were Voltaire, speaking yeah. Speaking against it, and uh, speak to slavery now. George Washington had slaves, yes, right? Yes, uh, yeah. he was opposed to slavery, but he knew at that time, as did Patrick Henry, had sixty-five slaves by the time of his death. But both of them wanted the whole uh, business to end. They felt that it was dangerous for one, uh, and they knew eventually there would come a time where the issue after. Uh, gaining independence where they could actually do it. The British, on the other hand, during the revolution were actually freeing slaves. 
as uh, uh, wherever they went. They had already had a revolution in England, sure. a peaceful revolution. Will, Wilberforce. Wilberforce. Yeah, yeah, that guy's an awesome. And they dude. brought the awesome slave dude. trade. They were actually chased a, uh, a slaver into Boston before the revolution started. But, but if, if they believed that slavery was morally reprehensible, yeah. then why not free their slaves early? I know uh, of the Founding Fathers, uh, Washington would be the one that would free his slaves upon his death. He spoke against uh, slavery in private, but publicly he feared that it would break the nation apart uh, if he went on the offensive about it. Is that right? Doesn't that feel a little hypocritical? Well, that Patrick Henry says, how can we be talking about all men are created equal in the Declaration? A glaring weakness. Yes. Well, and he grew up in Virginia along with Thomas Jefferson, and they were all landowners. But in the South, they realized, many realized at that time, that if you ever freed and armed slaves, because there were, there were uh, uh, a sizable proportion, if you didn't do it, it as, uh, as it was said later, it took a long time to establish this, this practice. You can't just overnight declare it ev uh, over and expect these slaves to be able to survive it in winter or whatever without the means Got to take care of themselves. It sentence them to death. And plus, if if uh, the British armed them, uh, they could, you could have a massive okay. slave revolt. I'll suffice it to say, I don't know enough history to cast judgment, but it's still just, let, let's say Washington, though he was an amazing man of moral character, respected by his own forces and the British alike. They call him a turncoat and didn't like him, but they still respected his moral well, virtue. Isn't that true? Well, as so many uh, Americans at that time, they were they were here from Europe. He had he had represented the crown in the French and Indian War. They respected him as they did did Benedict Arnold, and as George Washington understood, Benedict Arnold, though we call him a terrible person yep. today, he was uh, driven into the British hands by our early Congress. They had a yeah. Congressman St. Clair who wanted his position gotcha. and kept supplies. And he was the real hero of Saratoga. He, was right. the, he saved the revolution the first year when the British were right. coming down through the Great Lakes. Right, if he hadn't have mm -hmm. stepped in in that mm -hmm. moment, uh, mm -hmm. we probably would have lost that momentum. It was, what struck me, guys, is just uh, in, in my personal studies is the revolution and all these men, it seemed like the revolution was constantly hanging by this delicate yes, thread. Yes. Where if one little piece mm -hmm. and all these just myriad of different events had not gone just as so, if we hadn't have gotten that, uh, then the revolution would have fallen to pieces. So there's this delicate, delicate balance. And so just to have, just to have the moral uh, force and fortitude and courage mm -hmm. to stay on when all just seems constantly hopeless yes. year after year against the greatest most powerful empire the world had known you're this ragtag group of dudes freezing your butts off quite literally their mm -hmm. clothes would just disintegrate around them they're walking around half uh, well over half the army was barefoot at one mm -hmm. point right well um, as a uh, as an officer I had things like boots I had uh, but you're you, the Joes they were freezing right they I mean, were wrapping their feet in whatever they could to and oftentimes bloody feet yeah um, people don't appreciate that George Washington was after uh, after all the defeats in New England and in, in Valley Forge, 
starving, freezing, dying, people dying every day, that as soon as Valley Forge ended, most of his army had, had gone back. They, they felt it was useless. He was left with 1,700 men. Oh, down from 12,000, right? Right. Just a brutal winter. Right. Brutal winter. And they had to go home, many of them, to feed their families who were also starving. The British were encouraging the Indians in the West to attack the settlements. So there was just so much going on. And, and so George knew they had to have something dramatic or he would probably have been hung along with the rest of the founders. But he crossed the Delaware, captured the Hessians at Trenton, uh, which was a tr real blow. Uh, and then uh, General Gates's uh, uh, victory over the British coming down from the uh, from Canada, and and those, it we as you said, it was always nip and tuck, uh, but the difference was that the Congress commanded the General Washington to make all of his troops go to church. Could you imagine that today? No, no. And to repent of their sins, and they had to do it. They were ordered. Yeah. by the government to go to church. That's amazing. Now, the Congress also, th though I'd look at something like mm -hmm. that and be like, wow, that's that's a different moral mm -hmm. standing Congress. Mm -hmm. I, it was hard to not get a grudge toward Congress as well. When Washington, it seemed like everyone seemed, uh, was against Washington at different points, and we think that he was just this celebrated leader from the get-go, and he was, and then he became very unpopular. He was almost supplanted by General Gates, Gates who just right. seemed like a snake in the grass. He was. And then Congress <laughs> is not giving him money. They're not feeding the army, so he's got a... Uh, with no tools, with no provisions, with no money, with no support, with people yeah. back-channeling him. Mm. He's, it's like one man against the world. Some historians would call him the indispensable man, meaning yeah, if you yeah. remove Washington, there is no revolution. Right. Uh, and so uh, He that, was a man of faith, and he was always, in all the crisis, trusting in God. That's cool. And that was, the fo that was what and also suffering inspired. with his troops as right. well. He, he felt like, you know, he get a piece of bread and his men would go hungry and somebody would ask him about it he'd give him his only piece of bread and then walk off and yes, kind of like I, man that type of well uh, and this is the thing we we talk about the separation of politics and religion they would have told you politics will tell you your religion and religion will determine your politics yeah. they never saw a time where the american people would would uh, become agnostic and they understood that the Constitution would be meaningless, would be a meaningless piece of paper if the American, American people ever lost their virtue and their faith in God. They understood that. Topic for another day. Yes, sounds, yes, um, yes. Yeah, very good. Well, cool. Um, can I check out your record? <laughs> yes, certainly. Yes. All right, cool. All right, take cover. So, this, is, this is a... It's a... Daniel Defense? 69 or? caliber. Awesome. Smooth bore. Okay. 1739. Uh, uh, brown Bess. And nobody knows where the term Brown Bess, but they figured it's that was their second girlfriend. That's awesome. And this guy? That goes right on top. That's you awesome. Just slide it on the, the lug. Twist it. Yep. All right. And uh, at that time, you had to fire three rounds in a minute if you were a good soldier. And then you charged. 
Guess how, who the most people were that died from the gun or the bayonet? Oh, bayonet. 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 And uh, the British had perfected it. Uh, the idea was both lines drew up to 75 meters with each other because that was the maximum effective range of a smoothbore. And even though they had rifle muskets, they hadn't realized the value of it. So they brought over, uh, the British brought over the German Jaegers who had rifle muskets and placed them on either end of the line whose main job was to do what they call rolling fire. Man would step up, fire at the cannon, the next man would stop. So keep constant fire on your artillery. Uh, and then the rest were using smoothbores uh, in this long drill, but uh, it wasn't, an, it, it, at that time, uh, more people died from edged weapons like your sword or the, uh, the bayonet. And the British were good in an open field, but what they found out from General Nathaniel Green and Washington's men that rifle muskets could start taking out your officers at 400 meters. So awesome. they were writing home to their parents to tell them about this terrible, wicked weapon that was causing havoc on the battlefield and, and leaving them without officers, which was just unbelievable that you would allow an army to function. So you weren't supposed to shoot officers, according to the British. It's just not respectable. <laughs> no, no, that's not done. <laughs> I think it'd be okay with that. Yeah, that's right. Very good. All right, well, cool. Well, I wanted to thank you for uh, allowing us to pick your brain. Really oh, appreciate it. What and... little is left of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, guys, uh, train hard, train smart, and study history. There's lots of gold gems that uh, can uh, motivate us, inspire us, even today they speak. Yeah, See you guys. Can, can I get an AR-15? Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> Take care. Shoulder your firelock. Join your right hand to your firelock. Poise your firelock. Join your left hand to your firelock. Half cock your firelock. Handle with cartridge. Open your cartridge. Spit. Prime. Shut your pan. Cast about to charge. Withdraw your load with cartridge. Withdraw your rammer. Shorten your full hammer. cock your firelock. My favorite command. Present. Put it in the barrel. Back. Round down with cartridge. Recover your firelock. Withdraw lock. your rammer. Shoulder your firelock. Shorten your rammer. Shoulder your firelock. Replace your rammer. Cool. That's great. You taught us that. Cast off your firelock. Here, uh. Your right hand ready. under the lock. Poise your file. Garment. <laughs> Establish grip. Draw a firearm. Present. Shoot bad guy. <laughs> it's a very short weapon. Yeah, we do what we can. You can't hit anything in the distance. Oh. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Fixed bayonet. <laughs> yeah.